You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Well, Dave, welcome to Real Faith Stories. It is an honor and a pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Brian. Already loving being here. <laughs> yeah, we were just chatting before we started recording, and uh, we were both about to lose it, talking about the goodness of the Lord. Yeah. Share with me kind of your backstory. Where did you grow up, and give a synopsis of where you are today. Yeah, I was I was born in Southern California a long, long time ago in a town far, far away. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds familiar. Um, since we're getting since, since we're getting close to Star Wars Day of May Fourth, I figured I'd throw a Star Wars thing in there. I was born in Southern California, grew up there, uh, went to Cal Poly Pomona, got my degree in mathematics. Decided uh, after a couple visits to my uh, to my future wife's hometown of Santa Cruz, California, that that I liked the beach scene up in Central California better than I did the crowded, trafficy freeways of SoCal. Um, moved there, thought I wanted to be a, a math teacher. My first foray into teaching math was in LA. During my senior year in college, I, I somehow another figured out a way to, to land a teaching job because they were so desperate for math teachers. <laughs> the Rodney King riots broke out during that time, and it was just really tough. It was it was a there was a lot of violence going on around me, and it just really scared me. Um, I tried it. I tried another attempt at uh, teaching when we moved up to Santa Cruz. And I was I was teaching uh, English as a second language to Hispanic kids in mathematics, junior hires, and I quickly realized that my my Spanish skills were not and, and my and my ability to uh, to lead and discipline children needed a lot of work. And so I I kind of got scared out of teaching and didn't know what I was going to do. Knew I liked to talk to people. Knew I was good with numbers and landed a job in the mortgage business. Okay, and that was in what year? That would have been ninety. 1993 is when that career began. Just a young 20-something-year-old trying to figure out life and uh, found out my wife had our first son on the way and was working a commission-only job and just felt invincible like I could do anything, like most 20-year-olds do, I think. (laughs) So your wife was on the way to having the first child. You were in your 20s. You felt invincible. And tell us about the experience you had in the mortgage industry for how long? Yeah, I was in the mortgage industry for 16 years. Um, during during my first stint in the mortgage industry, I actually was quite good at it. However, I know looking back on myself then that I had a lot of neuroses. I didn't have the Lord in my life. I was just running on my own strength. Just due to a whole bunch of circumstances, my wife decided that that I wasn't the guy for her. And we ended up, you know, she ended up having my son, Zach. We ended up divorced. So now I'm a single dad in the mortgage industry. And I had started, when my son was born, started the spiritual quest. When I saw my, the miracle of birth, it, it had such an impact on me. And I went spiritual seeking like, like there was nobody's business. And, I, and being down in Santa Cruz, which is similar to like Austin, Texas, or, you know, or San Francisco's Haight-Ashbury district, it's very new agey. I, I sampled all different types of versions of higher powers and gurus and, um, and really, really went after it, ended up studying with psychologists that were studying shamanism and American Indian native American, you know, spirituality. And all of that came to a crashing halt one day when 
I literally had, I would say, some people might call it a second heaven experience, but I was in one of these teachings and I was transported to a different reality. I wasn't taking any drugs. I wasn't doing anything other than just sitting in, in the presence of this teacher. And I would, I believe what I saw were demonic beings. And I knew that I had gotten in over my head. Mm. And so I stopped all activity. I just got really afraid and went, okay, there's something else out there besides this material world that I've been trained up to believe in. You know, as a scientist, mathematician, materialist, I'm like, I'm satisfied that there's something real and I'm in over my head. I'm going to stop all activity. And I went to bed a couple days later and I, I actually felt this void. Like all of a sudden I, I knew there was something more. I went to bed one night and there was this, I had this nightmare and I believe it was actually a real spiritual experience. And there was this, this teacher that I'd been studying under uh, his head was on a snake and the snake swallowed me in this dream. And I felt like my soul was being destroyed. I felt like who I knew I, I was, was literally being crushed and destroyed. And I feared for my very identity. It reminds me, there's a verse that says, you know, don't, don't fear. I don't, I can paraphrasing it, but it's don't fear those that can hurt you, but fear the one that could take your soul. And I really felt that, mm -hmm. that presence of, of, of evil and um, I instinctually yelled out the name Jesus in the dream. And I was raised by a dad who's agnostic, probably atheist, more agnostic now than atheist, and had basically told me that the Bible was a bunch of fairy tales. It was a nice book. And so I, re and I, and I really just, I just ha didn't have a grid for Jesus. So when I yelled the name Jesus in the dream, I said, Jesus, save me. All of a sudden, the nightmare went away, and I felt this love. And I woke up the next morning, and I... My stepdad had given me Bibles. He was a believer, and I just I couldn't help it. I just opened the Bible up, opened to the book of John, and every time I read the name Jesus or saw or heard his words, I, something in my heart leapt. And that began my journey of, of faith. I, it took, I suddenly stopped skipping over Christian radio stations on the radio. I watched TV evangelists. I had a voracious appetite for who is Jesus and, and what's this all about. Mm. And uh, nobody knew I was kind of doing, I was kind of like a closet baby Christian. And then I took a trip up to, to Alaska and it was in November and it was really dark outside. And I went to bed one night and I just heard this voice say, do you feel the darkness inside you? And, and he said, look outside, look how dark it is. That's, that's what it's like for you. You're in the dark. I, I, intellectually, I had a million questions for Jesus, but I knew in that moment that I was done. I got down on my knees in the bedroom in, in Alaska and just said, Jesus, I'm surrendering my life to you. I don't understand what's happening. I know that you know my heart, and, and I still have a million questions for you, but I'm, I'm in. And that began my journey of, of faith. And that all happened while I was still in the mortgage business, but it, was, it overshadowed everything. I mean, it, and then suddenly the mortgage business made no sense at all. After that prayer, my whole paradigm changed. I found a church to go to. Uh, I met with the pastor, told him I wanted to get baptized, didn't really know what that was about. So he politely explained to me how it was a public confession of my faith and, and to explain what baptism was. And I told him, I said, I just want to quit my job and I'll, I'll mop floors here. I'll, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. And he said, you know, why don't you stay at work? There might be something that God wants to do with you right where you're at before you make this sudden move. Mm -hmm. And then that began to happen. Everything began to radically shift, including including my work. What were some of the signposts for the radical shift? It was just this, you know, there's that old hymn that says that world, you know, will grow strangely dim. Mm. It just things that 
used to bring satisfaction suddenly they felt almost like those movie sets where you see a facade of a house and when when you go around the back you can see it's just being held up by stilts it's not really a house Mm -hmm. it was like it was like suddenly everything i did seemed like that i'm like hey this isn't what i thought it was how did how did i not see this before how come there was this change that had happened in my heart and I felt like God was inviting me. Hey, let me show you all the depth, even in the in the mundane things that seem mundane to you. Let me show you when you bring me to these things, how they can have life, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think the biggest epiphany for me in the mortgage business was suddenly I saw all these patterns. I mean, when people would come to me for a mortgage, they would technically kind of undress financially before me, you know? Here's my bank statements. Here's all my credit cards. Here's the cars I own. I mean, kind of an exposing experience to apply for a loan. Yeah, especially now. Right, exactly. <laughs> Especially now. What all of a sudden it was like I had all this data that had been fed to me for several years before I got saved in the mortgage business. And suddenly I just felt real clarity and passion around, hey, these people that have money issues or, or that are miserable because of their money, I started to see how their personal misery was tied to how they were handling their finances. And I just got really excited and I started looking at like Crown Financial Ministries. Uh, stuff. Dave Ramsey was just getting his start then. And so I started to study his stuff and I loved all the principles, but I thought, man, this, for people to walk these things out, it's not, the principles are great, but it's really, they need a place where they can, you know, like it says in James to confess their sins and, and receive healing and be prayed over. Mm -hmm. From that, I just had this idea and it was starting to happen in my office spontaneously. It was like the Holy Spirit was moving through me. I would just ask a simple question like, oh, what's, what's the deal with this February bank statement? And, you know, someone would start to cry, you know, I'd be like, oh, wow, that never used to happen before. I wonder (laughs) why this person's crying. (laughs) And, and God began to show me what my role was. Like, he's like, he made me to be a safe place for people, for them to, to really come and, and just confess, be convicted, and then align themselves with their truer nature in Christ. And finances are a huge expression of that. There's a lot of verses in the Bible about handling your finances and and how that affects our relationship with the Lord. Totally. You started then a consultancy or coaching business around these desires to help people and ask these questions, right? Yeah. After I'd done enough studying and I felt pretty comfortable I started a company and I started to charge people for what I was doing because it, I, I built some structure around it and realized I felt like uh, it was solid enough to have regular meetings with people. So I started the company called Fiscally Fit. A few evenings a week, I would just you know have a, a few appointments and I absolutely loved it. And then I started, I read a book, it was about generosity. I actually got so excited about this book, I went to my pastor and I said, I want to buy a bunch of these books and just give them away Sunday after service because I don't think people understand. And he was like, well, okay. And he knew the book and he said, you know, you you realize there's a Sunday school uh, little video thing that you could teach church also. I said, he said, I'd be comfortable to let you give the books away, but I'd really like you to center it around, you know, you teaching a Sunday school class. Whoever wants the book, you can give it to them, but I'd really like you to have you help them. Well, here's the thing. I'd never been in an adult Sunday school class before. He was asking me to teach a class, and I'd never actually done adult Sunday school yet. I was just finishing my New Believers class, so that was the only experience I had with this. But next thing I know, I've given these books away, and I'm in this Sunday school class as the teacher. And the people that came in were the people that I looked up to. It It was a lot of the elders in the church. The local newspaper editor was in the class. And I was shaking in my boots. I was like, I don't belong here. These are the people that should be teaching me. God said to me, hey, it's 
not he, he taught me in that moment hey it's not about what you know it's it's about creating a space where people can confess it's this whole idea of confessing and creating a space where it's so i i went on word and i typed up a quick confidentiality agreement and in the second class i told everybody hey we're going to go through this material but i really feel like what god's leading us to do is for us to to confess uh, to each other and, and to have this place be a place where god can come and and heal us when we confess and everybody agreed they signed it and we did that class for a few weeks and then that class said to me, why don't you teach a weekend class? Like more people need to know about this. And so this, this idea of who I was in Christ and how I could partner with him began to take shape just from my natural curiosity and desires. What happened when you did your first weekend teaching? Oh gosh, I was so, it was the same thing. I mean, it, God's always led me by my desire. So I, again, I'm in my twenties, oh, I could do this. You know, I remember the Saturday all day workshop is what it was. And I remember Friday night preparing my notes and uh, a videographer at the church said he wanted to come video it for me. And I just remember thinking, what have I done? Like, this is, this is going to be horrible. I don't know what I'm doing. And again, stepped out into it in faith and about halfway through it, I think I kind of fell into a stride that made sense. But the first half, I'm guessing was a train wreck. It was, you know, <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I remember at one point, I can't believe I did this uh, at this church. It, it was the youth pastor at the time. He's, he became the senior pastor at that church, but it was the youth pastor and his wife. And I was up there teaching and they were talking like to somebody. And I literally like a school teacher said, Hey, excuse me, can you please not talk while I'm teaching? And <laughs> I would never do that in a million years now. Like it was so disrespectful and I'm sure they had something important. They were, and I just, I was so frightened and I just, humans do when you're frightened. I just wanted to grab control. Like, Hey, that you can't do that. Like this is my class. And thankfully I think after lunch I relaxed and it went well enough that uh, the guy that ran Habitat for Humanity in our town asked me to come and teach all the families of, on personal finance and to do something similar for them. So it was kind of like the Lord was using these the natural desires I had as a 20-year-old to just kind of make a mark on the world. He was using those desires to teach me how he moved through me, right? And so now I'm at Habitat for Humanity and became more relaxed into this, and it just kept progressing, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And even in my day to day at the mortgage business, I would still the same things would still happen. It was just the, there was these more intentional uh, expressions that were forming outside of my normal day to day. Let me circle back with you, Dave, on something you just mentioned. You said God has always led me by my desires. There are people who say, "Be careful about that because your desires may not be godly." But then the Scripture says He will give you the desires of your heart. Explain how you've been led by your desires. Well, you know, I have this belief that, and I believe it's biblical. I hope it is. So far, it seems like it is based on the fruit. And that is that even, you know, I've led men's purity groups and been in men's purity groups. And, and even some of the fleshly expressions of desires that lead to, to harm and death and sin, I believe that deep underneath, there's a good desire underneath it. So like the desire to be known and have intimacy and get married and have a wife, right? That, that's a good, healthy desire that God put in us. And yet when it goes through the filter of our identity, it'll, it'll reach a point where we can choose the wrong expression of that. And that's why I think there's so many warnings in the Bible against sexual immorality, because God doesn't want us to experience that harm that, mm -hmm. that comes from the wrong interpretation of the desire. So that's to me, 
I think it's the the filter that it goes through, and and even if you temporarily get it wrong, if can learn to surrender to God in the midst of it and be malleable in His hands, He can course correct you pretty easily. And you may get it wrong the first time. You may think this is what I'm, this is what I really want, and God's like, yeah, that that is coming from a good desire that I put in you, but actually, it's the wrong outlet. <laughs> to kind of be euphemistic about it, <laughs> sure. And the, the the key word here is malleable. Yes, and being open and. Yes. Really just opening your palms, right? Yes. Saying, I give this desire to you. You know, and God's initiated all this. It's like when when the disciples, when Jesus turned to them and after everybody left, he said, you know, if you if you want to follow me, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And of course, the crowd that was following him was like, We're out of here, this is too weird, and they all took off. And Jesus said, You know, who do you say that I am? And and the disciples, just from intimacy with him and relationship, said, you know, you are the Christ. And and he said, You say that because the Father has revealed it to you. Like God's a these truths that these epiphanies we have, God always initiates them. And as long as you, and what I'm thinking of when I say that is shortly after I got saved, uh, the movie Passion of the Christ was coming out by Mel Gibson. And during that time, internet was just starting to be able to have enough bandwidth to play little trailers for the movie. So I was really excited about this movie. I'm a new believer and I can't believe that there's going to be a movie that's you know going to show the whole story. So I was really, really excited about this movie coming out. And I finally found the trailer on the internet and I'm watching it. And it's exciting to see that I can watch a trailer on my computer. And I watched the scene where Jesus is on the cross. And I was literally at work taking a small break to do this. And I could not stop weeping for a good three or four hours. And God God began to show me my whole life and showed me the the, the weight of the sin in my life and and then, and then explain to me, to my heart, what the cross meant and what actually Jesus actually did for me. And I'll never forget, it was like a half hour into crying uncontrollably at my desk. Thankfully, I was in a private office that I had on my property, so it wasn't around other people. But I was still, emails coming in and the phone's ringing, and I can't control my emotions. And I, I finally used self-control and said, okay, enough's enough. And when I went to go check my email and my voice messages, there were zero and that was uncommon at the time. It was a very busy time. And God said, I've set this side of time. Please relax. And that's when I just, sur- that's when I surrendered to him. And it was like him, again, this kind of visceral experience of, of like, this is what my son did for you. And I think because he initiated that, it's wired me to have a natural tendency to surrender in a way that that has been very humbling oftentimes, but has borne a lot of fruit because he taught me how to do it. That experience, for whatever reason, seemed to to settle into me. Hey, this is something that's way bigger than you. You're in, you're now part of a story that's way bigger than you. Mm-hmm. And, and like good obedient children, right? Like when our kids come under our care and obey us, they they experience something that they experience our protection and our delight. And I just want to be like a little child because I don't. To me, it's like the smartest choice I can make. Are you kind of splitting your time now with respect to the mortgage? industry versus coaching people and providing guidance. How is that blowing up? How is that changing? Or has it been kind of staying kind of on a certain level? Well, I would say, no, it was, it was split. And, you know, during that time, it was in my mind, I definitely had a clear distinction between ministry and work. However, in retrospect, I now know that, like I mentioned earlier, even in my day to day, when I would just call up somebody on the phone and, Hey, you know, we need you to send in this paperwork these spontaneous coaching moments were happening all the time. And so it was the beginning of those two worlds slowly blurring together. You know, the the Hebrew word for work and worship are the same. And God began to show me, Hey, there's just because you're, 
you're passionate about teaching Sunday school classes or doing weekend financial workshops, uh, it doesn't mean that when you come to work to do mortgages that that has to stop. Uh, you can that that same that same anointing, that same call that I have on your life. It's it's a twenty four seven deal. We've done a terrific job in the Western world of separating everything and compartmentalizing it. Haven't yeah, we? and in a way, and that's still, God's still unwinding that in me. You know, it's not it's not like that, that I've arrived at that. Like that that conditioning, Greek Western way of dualism. That uh, it it certainly has a purpose, but oftentimes that when God wants to move through us, it, it doesn't serve us in certain moments. Well said. Now, fast forward, the mortgage industry has yeah. crashed. Yeah. Yep. Tell us what you went through when that happened and yeah. what that led to. So the mortgage industry crashed and so did the life that I had built for 16 years. My marriage ended in divorce during that time. There was things leading up to that that had that weren't about the financial crisis, but my, without going into all the details, my marriage ended. I had built a real estate portfolio. So I had most of my money was invested in real estate and all of my income was based on the mortgage industry. And I had a really loyal following of clients. Uh, but in 2008, 2009, and early 2010, nobody was, there was very little happening. You know, the whole, the whole real estate world kind of came to a halt. And because my marriage was also on the rocks. It was just a really trying time. And I remember teaching in the Sunday school classes or the weekend workshops, I would say to be be careful of making money an idol. And I felt like I hadn't made my possessions and my money an idol. But when it, when it was all taken away, I became painfully aware of how much my identity was wrapped up in those things. Unfortunately, that marriage did end. And, and so did my mortgage career. I ended up going to an employment agency who said, we have this kind of blind interview, anonymous interview. We, this is a good, solid company. They just don't want us to say who they are. And so I was. my plan was to go into financial planning, to leave the mortgage industry and go into financial planning, which seemed like a good, logical you know, thing to do. And I was just going to take that same client base and rebuild, but have more tools at my fingertips was my plan. And God just interrupted that plan. I drove to this interview and it was out in the middle of nowhere. And I was driving through like walnut orchards, and as I'm driving, God said to me, I'm going to provide for your family from the earth and from these plants. And I didn't know what interview I was going to, and it didn't even make sense, but I knew it was him. And when I got there, they told me that I'd be selling walnut shells for a living. I went, oh, that's, I'm like, oh, that's what you meant, God. They offered me a salary, which was, you know, you don't, selling walnut shells is not like high finance. So it was definitely not the salary I was hoping for. I was, I'm, I'm not even going to be able to pay my bills with this salary, but there's a commission. Anyways, long story short, the only reason I said yes to that job is because of what God told me on the way there. And it made no sense. And at that time I was really pushing into prayer. Like probably I never have since I was in an early morning men's prayer group. Uh, we would meet four to five times a week, usually at 6 a.m., and um, I just prayed some really heart-wrenching prayers and you know, needed the support of other Christian men during that time as my marriage was ending. And so often in those meetings, I would pray for my workplace. God bless my workplace. God helped me to be a good employee today. Help, heartfelt prayers about going to work because I was during the week. And uh, one morning, God laid this word on me and he said, David, I'm about to do something in your workplace and no man will be able to take credit for it. It's, it's going to turn your workplace upside down as you know it. And this is like a fifth generation family owned business that definitely had a certain way of doing things. You know, this was not a place that, but I knew it was true. And I knew that God was going to do something through me. I drove to work. 
the word possessed me. I mean, it was like, this is going to happen. Oh my gosh, this is exciting. So where did you hear this word, Dave? Was it in your, in your mind, in your gut, in your heart? Where, where are you getting this sense of the Lord speaking to you? I think that's important for people to hear. It's almost like when, the best way I can describe it is when, when Jesus rose from the tomb and he was walking with two disciples and they didn't recognize him, but they felt their hearts burning. And that's, for me, what heartburning feels like is it's all encompassing. It's my intellect, it's my emotions. And I feel this almost like, you know, the, the more, the night before Christmas feeling like that excited feeling of like, Oh my gosh, presents tomorrow, you know, like, Oh my gosh, we're going to have Christmas and we're going to, and the family's coming. It's like that little kid excited feeling. That's what it's like for me. Yeah. Um, as I've matured, God really has showed me the subtleties of that and the different characters of him. And I notice it in my being. That's how I know it's him. And I think he's trained me to get better at better at responding to those promptings, even if it doesn't logically make sense. Like it doesn't make logical sense that I turned down a career uh, in San Francisco as a financial planner versus going to work for a walnut farmer in Corning, California for a, for a, for a salary. It was like a third of <laughs> right. what I could have earned logically going to financial planning. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> and the Lord tells you, no, it doesn't make any natural sense whatsoever. You had a word in your heart from the Lord telling you, this is what you need to do. So you did it. Then he shares this word with you about some dramatic shifts that are going to happen in this business and nobody's going to take credit for it. No man, no man is going correct. to take credit for it. No man will it. take credit for it. No man. So I went into work and my boss said, good morning. How are you? I said, I- I'm great. He goes, really? What's going on? I go, I just got back from a prayer meeting, and my boss did not have a grid for this. He knew I was a, a man of faith, but he, he was, was not. Um, I said, can I tell you what I heard? And he goes, well, sure. And I just told him just like I'd be like up front giving a testimony at church or a, a word at church, like forgot that I was in the workplace, and I, I was just told it to him with massive fervor, like God is going to do something here, and it's going to change this place, and no man will be able to take credit for it. And I could tell once I kind of came to my senses, this was not the best way to express this to this man. It seemed odd to him. And I think it kind of was off-putting to him. And I walked out of the office feeling a little bit self-conscious, actually a lot self-conscious. Sounds like Joseph. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I never thought about that. That's exactly what it was like. It was like, uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. So three days later, we had two salespeople there and I was the junior one. So we got this really weird call from an animal shelter and it was the head of the shelter and we, we were making a product out of walnut shells that were pellets for pellet stoves, which are you know little wood pellets that you put in a kind of a feeder and it, and it burns, burns the pellets in like a, like a, almost like a wood stove and creates heat for your house. And that product was not going well. Um, it turned out that it burned dirty. It burned really hot, but it burned dirty. So it was clogging up some stoves. So they were kind of getting ready to can that project. And we had invested a lot of money into it. We had robotic pallet stackers and, and a pellet mill and all this stuff. And they were getting ready to kind of scrap the project. The shelter had discovered that, that out of sheer necessity to, to buy cheap cat litter, because they had you know 80 cats at a time and they were working off donations, they realized that our pellets worked as a cat litter. The owner of that shelter said, you need to come and smell our cat room because it's, and so the, the senior salesperson there gave that lead to me. He's like, you go, this is weird. You go explore this. So I went up there, I went up there, I walked into the room and sure enough, there was 80 cats in there and it smelled as if 
no cats were in there. You know, if 80 cats, you know, going to the bathroom, it's going to have a little bit of a tinge, you know, <laughs> a little, yeah. And the workers were so excited because this is where they work every day. And they're like, you don't understand. Like I didn't at that time know this was the thing God was talking about. But I, when I went back to my desk, I wrote a one page business plan and I looked at our cost of goods and I looked at what cat litter sold for in the retail market. And I went and I showed it to the, to, to my boss who three days earlier, I had over exuberantly shared my word with him and he, he, he took it up to his boss and they gave me the green light to launch a cat litter. God gave me the name for it. We ended up at a trade show in Vegas about a month later. Uh, we changed our whole production facility and I was all of a sudden found myself uh, a traveling cat litter salesman. That was my main job. I was no longer a walnut shell salesman. I was now a cat litter salesman. <laughs> it was my new my new title. And this was something you dreamed about absolutely, as a child, wasn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, when I look back on it, it's like, yeah, this was the fulfillment of like years of dreaming. I just didn't know how it would ever happen. And now, now with cat litter. With yeah. cat litter. Yeah, I and the interesting thing was I was at the one of the lowest points in my life. I mean, I'm I'm a single dad and barely getting by financially, and now I'm being asked to be on the road. And I don't actually one of the things I'd always dreamed of once I got saved was being a missionary. I always thought it'd be great to be a missionary. I, and I, I really prayed that God would someday send me as a missionary. And so now I'm traveling the country and eventually traveling the world. We decided to go international with it. And this is all over a period of like 12 months. I mean, I'm, I'm in every state in the country. I'm, I'm growing and learning how to grow a brand and meeting with buyers and understand. I mean, I'm just, it's just a massive learning curve. So Dave, how was the brand selling? It was selling incredibly well. There was a tremendous amount of, of favor on this. And I knew pretty soon, pretty, probably about a month into it, this is the thing you were talking about, God. Like it became really clear because this was so different than anything this company had ever done. And they were investing time, money, and resources. And when I would go back to the home office, there was a lot of tension there because everything was changing. All the energy was being put into this project. And there was a lot of people there that weren't, were not happy about that. Um, and, they, and they weren't happy that, that I was put in charge of it after only being there, you know, a few days. So there was a lot of tension and a lot of, and, and much like Joseph, there was a lot of, I mean, I would come back and, and my coworkers would say, you better be careful because my direct supervisor, they, they said, she's, she's out to get you fired. Like, and it seemed like the more successful I was, the more she despised it. So it was a little, little tense, you know, to be like really transparent, you know, I was really a sad sack on the road. I mean, I, I missed my kids terribly. I felt very lonely. I'd come back to the airport and imagine my ex-wife and my kids greeting me and there'd be nobody there. And I mean, it was just a really, like my soul was troubled, you know, and being on the road, there's a lot of temptations. There, there are a lot of, you know, social mixers where there's alcohol available. There's uh, of course the being a man in a hotel room, there's always that TV that you could just push a button and suddenly you're watching things that you shouldn't be watching. There's a lot of, a lot of that um, coming at me. And I can remember nights where I would go to bed and just weep and weep. And God would say, just let me come touch your heart. And I, it felt really painful. And, and, and then like the most healing intimate moments I've ever had with God would happen night after night after night. And I was, you know, crying out to God, God, do I need, I mean, I, it seems like I'm away from my kids more than I should be. And, and, and he would say things like, Yes, but it's okay. I have them covered. You're okay. 
and you always want, and he would say things like, and you've always wanted to be a missionary and look at you. Now you are. I'd be like, what? He's like, no, look, you're out spreading the gospel of Jesus and selling Catler at the same time. And what was happening was I found, I, I had this posture where my normal kind of business persona that I would put on to get things done, I just didn't have the energy to put that on. So I found myself being a little bit more real and transparent and raw with people. What I discovered was that that, that was a kind of a form of confession. And again, like it says in James, that gave, created a space where other people would get very real. And then I would watch God move. And a perfect example of that is I remember I scheduled this trip I was going to fly into Detroit, go from Detroit to Ohio, and then from Ohio to Kentucky, and then fly back home. And I was going to train three different salespeople that each covered those regions for a distributor that we had brought on. And I remember I flew into Detroit, and it was one of those trips where everything goes wrong, and I ended up stuck in an airport somewhere. And so I ended up not getting to sleep that night, arrived there that morning in the clothes that I essentially was wearing the night before. You know, so I I probably smell a little bit, (laughs) and uh, I was really going to contact the person that was going to write, I was going to be writing with that day and call on stores and just say, you know, Hey, maybe we could start at noon. I'd, I'd like to go check into my hotel and get a shower. As soon as I reached out to her, she's like, I am so excited you're here. I've got 20 stores for us to see today. I hope you don't mind. I brought you a sandwich. It's in the car. We're going to go. And I just kind of went with it. Right. But I, I really, my heart was not in it that day. I was just, I was just thinking bed and shower, not go sell cat litter. And I remember we got a flat tire in the middle of the day, but it seemed providential when I look back on it. We got a flat tire. Everything came to a screeching halt. We got the car to a shop. We're sitting down having lunch together. We decided to go to a restaurant instead of eating the sandwiches that she'd brought. I just bowed my head to pray for the meal. And I was, and I didn't know what her status was. So I just kind of, you know, said, do you mind if I pray? And I just bowed my head to pray for over the meal. And I looked up and she is just bawling. I said, oh, what's wrong, sweetie? She goes, I knew that God sent you. I knew the moment you got off the plane and you got in my car that God had sent you. She goes, I need to tell you something. And I can't tell you here in the restaurant, but I I know I'm supposed to tell you. And God's been telling me I need to tell you. And so I just need to tell you. And I went, oh, okay. And so, you know, we get in the car and we're driving. She goes, so, you know, when I was younger, I had an abortion and my, I'm now married. I'm now a believer in Jesus, but I'm so afraid to tell my husband. I feel so horrible that I never told my husband. And, and we're at a new church. We're at my husband's church. And, and I feel like I'm supposed to tell the pastor, but I'm just so afraid of what's going to happen. And I feel so bad that my husband married me. and He doesn't know this is in my past. And, you know, it was so easy to minister to her. I'm just like, oh, sweetie, like it's, it sounds like God's led you right. You know, and, and I just give you permission to do that. And I know, that you're going to be just fine. What God showed me was that I was in, I had such a vulnerable posture all the time and it was part of my gifting. And this was just happening. Like, I mean, it was a regular occurrence where I was feeling like I was at my lowest place and that I, I could not possibly serve God in any way, shape or form. I was just in survival mode and God was having these miraculous moments happen of just deep confession and intimacy. And I mean, just stuff that's above and beyond, like, you know, in Canada, the the VP of sales with my Canadian distributor, I mentioned something to him about just kind of being in a low place and and how you know my family had a history of depression. So and I mean I just briefly mentioned it to him, and I got a call from him when I got back, and he's like, "Hey, that thing you talked about depression." He goes, "I suffer from depression, and I don't tell anybody, but could I confide in you? I would love to be able to call you from time to time." And I just realized, oh my gosh, God, you're taking 
one of the most painful times in my life and you're giving me all this business success and at the same time I'm getting to be on the mission field. I mean, that's, that's what people do on the mission field, right? Like you look for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with people <laughs> and they're just, um, it was incredible. You bring up something that I've seen even in my own life as almost a principle, really it is a principle that when you exude vulnerability or you come into a room of people with a vulnerable posture, it causes them to drop their yeah. defenses, their business yeah. defenses, if you will, and it allows them to open up and be real. I, I ran a coaching business for a while called The Ultimate Challenge, and I found that I got the best responses from the students when I told them what I was struggling with. Talk about the floodgates opening. It was wonderful. 100%. You know, and I think it goes back to, I mean, what did we inherit from Adam? We inherited a tendency to hide, right? Like that's, that's our inheritance from, from Adam. And, and then our inheritance from Jesus is the exact opposite of that. It's not hiding. It's, it's not, we're completely covered by the blood of Jesus. We are one with God and, and all I think God's asking is he's coming and where are you? It, would you just please show show me who you are? You know, and and this illusion that we're hiding anything from God is is got to be laughable to God. I mean, it's I'm sure. It, what do we hide? Everything's exposed to God. I think we as as believers have unfortunately mishandled each other's vulnerability sometimes, and and it's created a culture of shame and hiding even within the church. It's learning how to do that God's way in a healthy way that brings life to people. That I think is the lesson we're all learning. Now, in this incredible experience of traveling, being vulnerable and broken, physically exhausted, and God is using you on the yeah. mission field, as you said, how long were you involved in this business? What's, what's happened? That only lasted 18 months. And the reason it only lasted 18 months is that after 18 months, another company approached our company and offered to buy to rebrand it under their brand and to buy the rights to the raw materials. And they, it was a multi-million dollar deal. And so that came to an end because the company that bought the rights to that, they had a whole sales team and they had a, a whole marketing machine in place and, and there wasn't a place for me in that. So I, I got let go from, from that job. And what I didn't know was that a lot of people in the industry that I was new to had taken note of what had happened. So I, I had about 60 days where I was unemployed, but it didn't take long before I had multiple offers coming in from other companies. It was really interesting because when I was in Canada toward the end of this 18-month cat litter mission tour, missionary tour, <laughs> I remember I was in Canada and God said to me, David, I've made you the king of cat litter. Yes. Yes. And I was, I just had to, I had to, right? I had to chuckle. I'm like, no, God, like that is not, like, no, my dream of being a missionary was not to be the king of cat litter. And, and I knew it was God, but I was kind of struggling with that. Like, really, that's, that's, that's my calling right now. Like king of cat litter. <laughs> no. Um, Did you get the tattoo on your back? I, I have not got the tattoo yet. I, I'm still, still, still struggling still debating. With wrestling with whether that's I like right. this word or not. But <laughs> I remember I was in Las Vegas at a trade show and a friend of mine who was also in pet waste management, he had a, another product that he sold. He said, Dave, you're, you're so good with this cat litter thing. He goes, I, I would really like to see if you guys could private label this cat litter for my company. And I said, no, I don't think we'll do that. 
unfortunately. He goes, well, if you ever see a cat litter out there that you think would be a good fit for my company, please let me know. If you see some, but something out there where it's a struggling brand, but you think it might be a good fit. Well, sure enough, 30 days before I got laid off, I did discover this cat litter for him. And it was some guys in Canada and they were kind of geeky science guys that didn't know how to sell products. And so they had a, a really not a very attractive booth and they, they hadn't really marketed it or branded it well. And so because this guy was my friend, I just put them together. I said, hey, I think I found it. Why don't you guys talk? And so he, when he found out I was laid off, he said, Dave, you know, I need someone to test this litter. I don't know anything about cat litter and I need somebody to like lead this. Would you be willing to do it? And so that was my next job was actually, I now found myself being the king of cat litter, I guess, <laughs> you know, it's like I'm known for cat litter. It turned out this, this material, which is called zeolite worked worked a lot better than walnut shell. And at the time, walnut shell was like revolutionary. It, the tannins in walnut shell were neutralizing the ammonia odor in cat litter. And the zeolite stuff worked even better. Was it less expensive? Yeah, it was less expensive. So it was less expensive. It looked more like the traditional clay litters that you see out there. I thought, this is amazing. And so off we go again. He made me president of sales, and now I'm doing, doing the same thing again. I remember there was a, a period over a week where because I had already had a reputation and I set up appointments across the country. And in a week's time, we sold a half million dollars of the stuff before we'd ever even produced any of it. I mean, it was incredible. And so I was like, well, maybe this King of Cat Litter thing isn't so bad. Like it's, it's fun to be involved in projects where God's moving and things are happening. Mm -hmm. And I felt some of my, some, some of the sting of my previous divorce and some of that shame, it was kind of through working and, and serving God, you know, I began to believe in myself sure. again, if that makes sense. You know, and the pit that I was in started to seem not so much like a pit. I remember even telling God as it was beginning that that shame was beginning to lift. I remember telling God, God, I don't ever want to leave this place. I'm so thankful for what you've done in my heart here. And as, and I know I'm about to have success again, please, please help me not forget the lessons that I learned from this time of trial. Like I don't want to become complacent and jaded like i keep me humble basically was my prayer you know and he's been faithful to answer that by the way <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm sure there's some wonderful details on that are you still involved in the cat litter business i'm not believe it or not that was so successful that he was able to sell his whole company within nine months i see a pattern emerging here i worked my way out of a job again like i was like gosh darn it so now i'm out without a job and there were a few little projects in between all these, but so I'm giving you the highlights for the sake of you know a podcast. But a guy in Australia had approached me that that was making dog treats out of kangaroo. The gentleman that I'd worked the second cat litter project with was actually an Australian, and his products he had brought over from Australia. So he told his other friend who was making dog treats, "You need to talk to Dave. Dave's without a gig." And so he put us together, and I gave him my salary requirements. I said, "You know, if you can pay me this much a year, this much commission, I'd be happy to grow your brand for you here in the U.S." And it was just—it was more than he could afford. A couple of friends of mine said, "You know, David, you've made other people a lot of money. Why don't you start your own U.S. corporation and be the importer on record for these brands and just get an exclusive contract to grow this brand? But you'll own it. You can go raise venture capital for this. You've got a track record that venture capitalists will love." And I thought, "Huh? Yeah." So I went and did that, and we started the company called Authentic Sales, which to me was appropriate because I felt like my success was grown from this kind of vulnerable, authentic posture. And so that's the company I run now. I'm, I'm CEO of a company, and we import dog treats from Australia. And I have the exclusive contract for North America, for Canada and the U.S. And you're selling those dog treats then to various outlets? Yeah, we have online channels like Amazon or Chewy, or then we have 
traditional, what they call two-step distributors, which is where we'll ship a bunch of it to a distributor who has salespeople. They'll put it on their trucks, and then I'll educate their salespeople on how to go out and sell it into different small ma and pa stores you know, around the country and in, and in Canada. That's terrific. So that's what we do. And you're also still doing the fiscally fit counseling, right? It's morphed into something bigger. I realized that the power of that applied to other things besides finances. So I started a company called Authentic Coaching. I primarily attract CEOs, company owners, or those those in leadership through through confession, through vulnerability, they reconnect to the childlike innocence of their first love. And oftentimes being in leadership, the the cares of this world and trust and riches can choke out some of that life. And so I lead them through a process of re-engaging with that childlike, fiery place inside of them, kind of help them reconnect to that and then point that at the culture that they're leading. So I do that. That does include finances sometimes, but often doesn't. How fulfilling, how powerful. Yeah. If you could stand at the top of a mountain and you could broadcast one of the most critical pieces of advice, what would you say? Share a couple things. Yeah. The verse that immediately comes to mind is all of creation is groaning for the revealing of the sons and I add and daughters of God. All of creation is groaning. And God, from the very beginning, when Adam and Eve fell, just said, just wanted them to, to come out of hiding and not blame, not feel shame, but just stand exposed before God. And so I feel like my calling, whether I'm selling dog treats or cat litter is, is to help God's children come out of hiding. And so I would learn and respond to God's call to come out of hiding and and come into a place of oneness and security and love in Christ. And in doing so, you actually wind up activating and really connecting with the whole purpose for which you were created. Yes. And I would say it starts, no matter who I coach or no matter who I'm talking to, it always goes back to the home and family. When you can do that well at home, it's the foundation that God builds everything on. You know, and of course, with the pain I have a previous divorce, uh, actually divorces, I was married, I'm married to Michelle now, and she's the love of my life. But I'm very, very aware of why God hates divorce. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> sure. Let's finish up here. I'd like to offer you the opportunity to pray for those listening. Okay. Why don't you go ahead and pray and yeah. we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Okay. Sounds good. God... Thank you so much for just your steadfast, never-ending love for us. And I pray for everybody listening that um, there there are parts in all of us, because we're all going through the process of being sanctified, that we intellectually know don't make sense. There's little habits we have, little thought patterns, especially since we've been talking about work, just ways we behave at work that don't really align with who we know we are in God. And so I pray that everybody that can hear my voice right now, just take a moment and go to God and ask God, God, would you please show me how I hide? Would you please teach me how to reveal myself to you and to others and even to myself? Would you please show me in a deeper, more profound way who I really am so I can let go of some of these things that that I just quite don't quite know how to do it? And God, I ask that you would right now, as people hear this, that you would begin to initiate that process and that people would not feel a burden by that, but they would know that your yoke is light and that you are faithful to finish the good work that you started in all of us that are listening right now, that you are faithful to complete that work, that it is not by our strength, that that your strength is perfected in our weakness. 
And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Dave, it's been a privilege having you on the podcast today. Thanks for sharing your heart. How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, the best way to get a hold of me is through my website, which is davidcharlsoncoaching.com. So it's David, and then my, my last name, Charlson, C-H-A-R-L-S-O-N, coaching.com, davidcharlsoncoaching.com. There's no E in Charlson. People often want to put an E in there, but there's, there's not one. Perfect. Thanks again, David. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. You bet. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone who you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that what we do in life echoes throughout eternity.